My name is Elozinam. The boy Shia Wolo. We are live at the Ball Gecko Park. The man is electric! Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Ball Gecko Podcast. It's another narrated episode. And today, we're going to be talking about the man that ate a lion's heart. Yes. <laughs> Victor James Osimen. Yes, the man of the moment, kind of, since Nigeria lost the qualifier. He was like the only player on the pitch that we all saw his obvious effort to get a very good result with his Batman <laughs> protective goggles. So, we're going to be talking about him. How did he start? Who is he as a person, personally, his personal story, how he started, and how he has gone through a whole lot for a player that is just 23. It's it seems like he has been playing for forever, but nah. And man, the boy I he don't see things. <laughs> so, first of all, Osimen was born in December in 1993. He's 23. He'll be 24 this year. And as a child, even as a toddler, when he lost, before he lost his mom, yeah, tough one, there are stories that his mom used to back him and sell pure water in traffic just to get by. We all know how Nigeria is. So he's not only from humble beginnings, he's from really, really humble beginnings from the ghetto. So not ghetto, ghetto from Oregon Ikeja, not ghetto like um, Ajigunle, like most players that we've had in the past, but Oregon has one of the biggest dump sites in Lagos, and he grew up right there in the center of it all. And then he is from a home with seven children, yeah, though they are not with their mom again, but you can see how much affection or love or respect that he has for his mom. His Facebook profile for a very long time was his mom. Instagram rather, I don't know if he has changed it now. But you can still see, there are still pictures of her floating around. You know, they say a mother's prayer will always continue. And when a mother dies up in heaven, they still watch over their kids. So it's obvious that of semen, which means God is good. His mom is definitely watching over him. Ah, so he grew up in Ojota, Oregon Primary School. And he grew up in a family where his elder brother was like the football star. Everybody knew his elder brother whenever they go to play. He's the last born. But from his elder brother, there are talks that he learned and then he became interested in football, watching his elder brother play. And he also became a star in his own rights, of his own respect. So he was saying stories about how even when they were kids, there was a man called Irek Heme who used to train them. They go to a primary school and then they train. There are pictures of them wearing jerseys and playing football in their own little way, <laughs> as professional as they could be. And then this man was always training them. And then he said, this man is really responsible for him becoming the footballer that he is. Even more than ultimate football, which we'll go into. Most people talk about Osime and then they say like ultimate football played a really big, big role like that. Nah, he was later in life. So he said when the primary school where they used to train was closed down. Then the owner of Ultimate Football, who is his dad's friend, came to meet him and his dad and said, Ah, we've seen your young boy play and we are thinking that he should come and train with us. And then his dad was like, Oh, no problem. And then he went and then he was training with them. And he said he played with Ultimate Football for like just two months. Can you imagine? Just two months. He said he never even got to play a J-League match for them. He never played a professional football and they cashed out. They were the ones who received the, <laughs> the billions of Naira billion of naira actually when 
he was sold to Wolfburg. So we'll get to that in a bit. So let's start about how we made it to the Flying Eagles, where he became a sensation. That was where he scored um, 10 goals in Chile, and then he became the highest goal scorer in the competition, the Under-17 Championship. And then he also won the Silver Ball. So they asked to see me that, guy, come, how did you become a player with Flying Eagles? Is it that your father knew somebody or anybody? Some people always say that, oh, Flying Eagles saw him playing in Ultimate Football, and then he got called up to the squad through that. Nah, not true. Like I already told you, he did not even play a professional match for them. He was training with them for a total of two months. <laughs> so he said a guardian took him to train in Abuja. And then he said there was a screening taking place for the under-17. He said he even got there late. That a day had passed before he got there. He got there late in the evening. And that they could not train that day. So they were told to come the next day for the training. And that was when he met Amunike. And then Monique told them, okay, tomorrow everybody come and then come and show yourself. He said there were over 2 million people. Man. <laughs> he said, and then each of them had like 15 minutes or less than to show themselves. So you have just 15 minutes to play and prove yourself out of 2 million people. And then he said, as God will have it, the next day he got there early and then he trained. He said he trained for 15 minutes and he was able to score two goals. Man has been banging goals ever since. <laughs> and then he said, after scoring two goals, Amunike was like, okay, okay, everybody go to the side, go to the side. He said they already told them, ah, no, you guys should go. We have already picked our people. But that there was a medic that was interested in him. Can you imagine how life is? He said he noticed that the medic called Amunike and then he pointed that ah, this guy in green, let's give him another chance to train and let's see what he can do. And that was it. <laughs> he said, so Amunike called him and he was like, oh yeah, come and train. And then he trained and then Amunike was like, mm, this boy, come, come. And then he held him on his shoulder and then he shook him. You know, he, he was slim. Well, now he's a little bit more muscular. And then he was like, ah, guy, you know the chop? Why are you small like this? <laughs> And then he said, because the medic pointed him out and then he impressed Amunike a bit, Amunike kept calling him. He said, anytime anybody got injured on the pitch, Amunike would be like, hey, this boy on green. He said, several people will stand up because they were all playing to wearing green. And they'll be like, no, you, you, pointing out Osimen. And then he'll say, come and play, come and do. And then he said, he always tried his best to always be the best on the pitch and then he said after the whole screening exercise they told him come the next day come the next day and he was invited to camp and yes you think that was it nah <laughs> he said when he got to camp it was like amunike was speaking on him and then he was very angry he said at some point he even wanted to leave that that even if he scores four goals during training amunike will still come and say no you should have done this like this you should have done this like that and he said he was very angry like why is this guy always speaking on me and then he said it was later i realized when he met chukoeze and the likes of um, Awoni that they spoke to him that no no don't you know coach that is how coach does when he really likes you he will pick on you he will tell you to do this and then one thing points out be one thing stood out for me when he was talking about this story he spoke about how Amunike took charge of the squad he said there were several times when their wages were delayed and Amunike was still always there like a father and then he was very, very strict. <laughs> he said they had no access to their phones. Even when they went to Argentina for the pre-training, 
that nobody had access to their phones that maniki and the training crew collect all their phones that they always told them hey you guys come they say on no sabi play they say nami pikona and that they were always gingered and then another thing stood out for me is there was you know there was a match the flying eagles lost in the build up to the chile competition they lost a match in one of our neighboring african countries and then because those players lost the match everybody was like these guys are not going to do anything especially considering that they preceded the era of um senior man he natural so we thought we had already seen the best of under 17 not knowing that oh the best is yet to come <laughs> so he said they had issues getting into the country that they stopped them at the border saying they had to do this check they said they didn't even have time to train that they were able to train for just one day a day to the match that they had to train three times to the build up to the game he said all of this affected them and it was part of why they lost one nil and because of this one nil loss everybody already thought that the outing in chile is going to be zero but Amonike was always there to be like a big brother and a father to them, telling them to put their head in the game, telling them how much is expected from them and the fact that they had one month to train together before this competition. And I'm like, man, the Super Eagles have this much opportunity to train together. Imagine the magic that will do. The only person that's been able to do something close to this is the legend Stephen Keshi that brought in local players. And then before the Nations Cup that we won, he had training sessions with the local players to pick the best amongst them. So there was still this chemistry, but I don't think the Super Eagles have had. And I think this is part of why the Flying Eagles always have a way. Even our the Falcons always have an opportunity to do well in competitions because they have much more time to train. If we can find a way to do it, I think this is the edge that countries like Germany have or Spain or England. The fact that they see each other play, but we super egos different people coming in from different parts of the world to come and train just this to a match if we can find a way to work around all of this i think it will really help the super egos so back to simon so he was talking about how they had to focus how much they did even video trainings there was a mention of him saying when they were camped in Katsina that they watched games of Pulisic. Pulisic was in the competition in Chile. And then they knew the kind of player he was even before they met him. And then it really now took my eye to think that, oh, these under-17 players, they really go through this flying eagles training and it really, really helps them. And it's impressive to see that at least Nigeria is doing something to impact the lives of all these boys and it's not really much that we can say about nigeria really helping people these days but talking about the flying eagles these guys are indebted that's why you see the likes of Nwakali, you see the likes of ihe natural the likes of mikel obi because they've gone through these ranks of flying eagles they've seen what nigeria has done for them taking them abroad for the first time in their life to train them the impact that this nigerian coach is having the life of these boys so they are one they don't mind mikhail suffered for it conte kicked him out of the squad because he came for the nation's cup Nwakali recently is suffering from this because he came for the nation's cup and his con his bodo is giving him so much issue and he doesn't care the same thing about osime it, it helps to see that even though we don't have access to all these um, English boys, the little ones that we have that are coming from our under-17, we don't joke with them. So now, to the ultimate striker gist, I already gave you a hint. So ultimate striker cashed out on Osimen after the competition in Chile that I spoke about 
where he scored 10 goals and every eye was on him now he did not confirm and then he didn't say anything about it but there are talks that he only went to wolfburg which was the club he went to because they were offering him the biggest money they, had, they were the likes of Arsenal, the likes of um, Manchester United and big, big teams interested in him. But uh, he followed the money. Well, if he followed the money, good luck to him. <laughs> but really, he suffered for it. Ah, no, no, no. He suffered for it. Now, straight to why he suffered for it. So he said when he got to Wolfburg, that the coach, the manager he spoke to before coming, he got fired into when he just got there. So he signed a three and a half year contract which was worth 3.9 million pounds, which is about a billion naira plus now. And then he said at the moment the manager was fired, big players left. And this was part of the reason why he suffered. That the new manager that came in was not interested in using him. Now, if you notice, after the Flying Eagles competition that they won, there were several eyes on Osimhen. But for like two years, we didn't see him. And then there were several rumors going about that these boys, once they get to Europe, they lose their focus. They start living anyhow because they have touched money. And Osimhen came out and told his story. And <laughs> I was touched. I was really touched. Funny enough, the person that was interviewing him actually cried. I came close to that too. Now, let me give you a glimpse of what he said. So he said after the manager left and then the big players that were part of the reasons why he even decided to go, they all left along. That he had a knee injury. And he said this knee injury was poorly done by the doctor that the manager hired. Now, he said the knee injury, he had to go and see the doctor like two times to correct the knee injury. It was that bad reoccurring. This is a surgery that they cut his leg open and tried to treat whatever they were trying to treat. And he said, boy, he kept getting injured. He said all of this affected his morale, that he could not even train well. He was still feeling pains. And that at that point, he expected Wolfbuck to stand by him. But no, nah, they were all like, why can't you get fit? Why can't you do this? <laughs> he said at the end of the day, they had to send him abroad to another country to be treated by another doctor for the third time on the same knee injury you can imagine a young player just coming from under 17 who has never had any injury history to be going through all of this i'm very sure he must have been seeing all those surgery knives for the first time in his life and then he said when he got to the clinic where the surgeon was that he noticed that there were players pictures and their dresses around he saw ronaldino's jesse and some big big players and he said for the first time after all the injury crisis in wolfburg apart from the manager leaving and the players that he liked leaving that he was now able to have hope that this doctor will be able to heal me if all these people can drop their dresses it means he knows what he's doing and that the man promised him that don't worry i will treat you and then you'll be 100 percent and you'll be able to play like you never had this injury he said he was happy he said he almost even shed tears considering everything that his eyes had seen and the man treated him and yes his knee was back he was training he was on fire he was running booming to get an opportunity to play and then boom he had a shoulder injury <laughs> he said when he had the shoulder injury twice shoulder came out and then his hand was at the back he said he had never seen anything like that in his life but i was trying to like i can play through this i can play through this but nah the injury took him out again this all this injury summed up to more than 12 months he was sidelined from the knee recurring injury to the shoulder injury and then he said just when he was trying to recover from the shoulder injury to be able to make it 
for the World Cup that he got sick again. Like, you can imagine, this is like, they say three times is the charm. So, <laughs> the third sickness was so bad, and that was why he could not make it to the World Cup that the Super Eagles went to play. He said he was not called up because of the injury. He said he broke his heart because he was like, this is my opportunity to make the World Cup squad. And not only has injury prevented me from playing in Wolfburg, now sickness is keeping me from playing in the World Cup. He said the sickness was so bad that when people came to check him in the clinic, he could not even recognize them. He said at some point, he told them to just take him away from the clinic and take him to a church that he's a very spiritual person. Yes, let's quickly mention that. He's a Christian and he doesn't joke with God. He said he told them that they should just let him lie on the altar. And he said right there and then on the altar was where he received his healing. And that he stood up and then was like, okay, I've missed Wolfburg. I've missed the World Cup with Nigeria. Now let me go back to Wolfburg because I have three and a half year contract and let me go and prove myself. He said when he was now going because of all these injuries and after missing the World Cup that it's delayed when he was supposed to arrive and that caused a very big crisis with the people at Wolfburg. They were like, look at this boy that we've signed since. Not only has he been injured, <laughs> now he's coming late. And then he said he was trying to explain to them that no, I was sick, but it was very hard for them to believe. And that kind of became not only did it affect his relationship with Wolfburg because he has not played for like two years now no other club was interested in him you think that's the end of it nah so now he was looking for clubs to sign him and he got rejected twice he said he was ready to play in the fourth division in Germany because he believed himself so much that if I just get a chance to play I will definitely be picked because he's going to score goals but he said the first club he went to that he trained with them. They're, so people were saying that it was the sickness that affected him. He said no, that he was able to train, that he trained well to his own satisfaction. He said even the second club, that they already told him that, oh, come, we're ready to sign you, that he went with his manager. He said that then when he got there, they said, come the next day so we can sign the contract. That his agent went ahead of him and then his agent came back to meet him and said, you know what, Osimen, sometimes you lose some, sometimes you win some. He said at that point, he cried. He said he wished... He wishes that he recorded it that because now people will see him a big boy and then they think, oh, this guy has not suffered. He said he cried tears that if he had recorded it and then he was able to show people that they will actually believe the hell that he went through for two years in Europe. He said it was exactly five days to the end of the transfer window. Now he was going to be stuck in Wolfburg and he was already told that, oh, you have no role here. And then he said he was, they had already relegated him to the under-19 squad. He was already training with them. But he was trying, pushing hard to get a club. And he said exactly five days that he he always prayed about it. And then he believed. He said several times the sisters would call and cry with him. And then he said he was in a house alone, totally alone. That sometimes we wake up at 4 a.m. and just be crying. That was happening. Who are the, my village people that are after me? <laughs> but exactly five days to the end... Charlie Roy called him and then they said, Osimen, we have always wanted to sign you, but there were bigger clubs than us, so we thought you would not be interested in coming to Belgium. But now, it seems like this is our opportunity. Come here. We love you. He said he had to travel seven hours from Wolfburg all the way to Belgium by road. <laughs> he said those seven hours were the longest in his life. He said they got there at night and nearly they got there, they drove 
to the house of the chairman of the club and then the chairman spoke words to him that we are really interested in signing you we really like you we believe in you he said he knew then that ah there's hope for you Simon. he said those were like the happiest days of his life <laughs> and that the next day they called him to the training pitch and then he was able to meet the players he said all the players were warm everybody was welcoming him hey we know you we like you he said also the fans that the fans were mad they were like oh see me as if he has been there for years he said and he told himself that in this place i'm going to bang in goals and goals he did bang <laughs> he said halfway through the season he had already scored nine goals and that ac milan came for him when he was in charlie roy and they said not just coming they came they offered the contract and he turned them down to tell you the kind of person Osime is he said no I've been with these people. These people were there for me when nobody was. And I've scored nine goals for them. And I am going to score more goals for them. He said he went straight to the chairman and he told him, I know AC Milan wants to sign me. I know they are going to approach you guys. But I'm not interested in going. I want to stay with you guys for the full season. I want to give back to you the trust that you had in me. And give back, he did give. In Charlie Roy, he banged 20 goals in 36 matches and he got four assists. He said he was so close to the fans there that they had a song for him. He said even after he left Charlie Roy and he was in Lille, he said it was not too far from there. That There was a day he went there that they had a match. That just before the match, he went to stand in front of all the fans. And he was like, hey, that till this day... He's still indebted to the club and the chairman that all the fans still love him, that they were singing his song and then he was singing back with them. That You can imagine that level of relationship. Even after leaving a club, he can still go back to visit them to say, how on a day. <laughs> and yes, they still love him because he banged in goals for them. And then he tried his best to get them moved to the next league because they were in the second division then, I guess. Now they're in the first division. So, after a wonderful season with Charlie Roy, of course, he became the star boy and Lille were interested in signing him. Yeah. He said several teams came interested, but he chose Lille because he's in France and then he felt that that was an opportunity for him to better himself. Now, Osimen is somebody that likes moving <laughs> because now, even though he's in Napoli, there are talks of him moving again. And then people are saying, man, you, people are saying it's PSG, people are saying it is Arsenal, several clubs are on his neck. But did you know Simon is a Barcelona fan? Yeah, some people were saying Chelsea, nah, he's a Baka fan. So let's hope if it's Baka that is going to go for him, I'll be really happy for him. But he always says it every time. He said if there are two clubs that he's interested in going in, it is going to be either in La Liga or the English Premiership. So I'm expecting him to go to one of these leagues after his season now with Napoli. This is Paul Gecko Punk. Huge for Liverpool, heartbreaking for West Ham. Now to Lille, in Lille too, he was a sensation. He banged 18 goals in 38 appearances and 6 assists, meaning he had an involvement in goals at least once in every two match. This is a great start for somebody that played two years without scoring. Now, did I mention that in Charleroi, his first goal was with a back heel? Yeah, he did a back heel. So he said that was his first European goal. After two years of being in Europe, he was able to score a back heel goal for Charleroi. So in Lille too, he was a sensation. He said from the first day he met the manager then, 
Christopher Gautia that the guy was a very funny guy. That immediately he called him that hey, come up, come up. That in his office, he told him, Are you ready to play tomorrow? It was after the Nations Cup. And then he was like, Yes, yes, if you want to put me in, I'm ready. The, the manager was not like, nah, nah, I'm just teasing you. You need to rest. He said till date that he still calls him up and messages him that there's this very close bond between both of them. It's beautiful to see that after the hell he saw in Wolfburg, he's still able to reconnect with other managers and have a wonderful time so ah, i'm happy i'm oh, i'm happy yes i think it's that's it i'm happy for Simon that despite all the storms <laughs> he's still able to forge fantastic relationships after then so now it is the second season in napoli so after a fantastic season with lil napoli snapped him up and then with luciano spalletti in the first season he scored 15 goals in 25 appearances and this season already in 30 Sorry, with General Gattuso, he scored 10 goals in 30 appearances. And this season, with Spalletti, he has scored 15 goals in 25 matches. And he's banging for more. As at now that we speak, he has already scored 25 goals for Napoli. And definitely, we all know that this summer he's going to move. But the club that he's going to move to, we don't know yet. Now, Napoli bought him for 80 million. Yes, 80 million. And they have increased his price. They initially they said it's 100 million, but now we are hearing that they are saying they are not selling him for anything less than 120 million. And that has not still allowed suitors to say we are not interested in him. To tell you how far or how good he is now, that a boy that was bought for four million and had issues with Wolfburg, and then he was sold again to another four million to Lille. When he went to Charleroi, it was initially a loan, a loan to buy. During the half season when he proved himself, then he was able to sign two years with them. Meaning even Charleroi did not put all the money down and as much as they loved him. He moved up to 80 and now he's nearing 120 million. <laughs> I think if he really gets sold for 120 million, that will make him the most expensive African. Already he broke the record for the most expensive African to be bought from Nigeria. In the sense that to be bought from a junior league you get like he was not in a proper proper club he was bought as a young star and he was the most expensive because it was four million they paid for him it's the history of signing any player in nigeria ultimate striker cashed out like massive massive cash out nobody has broken that record so now he most likely is going to set another record for the most expensive african soon and it's not just words he has earned this he has really, really earned it. Now I, now, I look back at Osimen, and then they asked him that, oh, guy, if you're going to give upcoming footballers four advices, four things that they should hold on to, even as they are going up to become great players like you, that what is going to be the advice? He said, first of all, that I will tell them to be patient, that regardless of how the storms might go, how things might be, still be patient hold on everybody and that's the honest truth everybody has a story everybody has been through rough patches so no matter how hard it is for you out there i want you to be patient really the best is yet to come he said two prayer always pray he said at every stage in his career he never jokes with prayer he's always always praying i already told you about the injury that he had the sickness he said <laughs> he used to say that when he had not scored in europe he said that even if it's a course that they used to tie his goals that his goals that he will used to break it and then he was always praying about it and then he said three work hard 
He said he always, always works hard and that he knows that regardless of praying and everything, working hard is what is really going to help you. Because when you have an opportunity, you have to be ready for the opportunity. He said four, handle criticism. He said despite all the people shouting on him when he was in Wolfburg that does this boy know what he's doing, that he didn't care, that even till now when people criticize him, he picks what he needs to learn. And when people heal him, he picks the, that he doesn't not, he doesn't let anything get to him. He knows how to handle criticism. That if you want to be a great footballer like him, you must always, and even in life, generally, you must always know how to handle criticism because that's it will always come. It will always come. And how you react to it will determine if you get to the next stage or not. So with this story about the golden boy who has eaten a lion's heart, Osime. I hope the next time you see him play, you feel like you know him more, I believe. Because already, that's how I feel these days when I see him. And recently, <laughs> I saw when he went for Victor Ekbeba, Ekbeba was saying that, oh, in the game against Ghana, I should not have tried overhead kick. And he was like, don't mind this pundit. He's not the one to tell me what I need to do, Agbaya. <laughs> He's a crazy guy, really. If you talk to him, you realize that, oh, he says stops, but it's not that deep. He's a... He's, he's just catching fun. And that this was a conversation between him and Asisat. So wherever he is, we wish him. I personally, I wish Osimhen the best. I'm hoping he's going to get that highest goal scorer. It's been a while we get we had any Nigerian win a highest goal scorer competition or award. I'm hoping he's going to get more of that for us. And moving from France to Syria to Belgium and still banging in goals to doing it even for the Super Eagles, you can tell that no goal easily comes to this guy. So Sigo, big shout out to you from all of us here at Ball Gecko and me, Maive. Ah, so I look forward to you listening to us in the next episode. Catch ya later. Safe. For more podcast episodes, visit all your podcast listening platforms or story.bogecko.com. Also follow us on Instagram at bogeckopod. Mm.